Genesis, the first chapter, Genesis chapter one, praise God. Man, we had, a, we had just a Holy Ghost time in class this afternoon. I tell you, I'm, I'm still, I'm still kind of buzzed and stoked about that. I'm just so thankful for the Lord. And I'm telling you, His faithfulness is, um, there's just no, there's no English words to communicate it completely. Praise God. Genesis uh, chapter 1, and let's begin at verse number 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was in, on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. Let there be light. Now, we're in the middle of a study. And to be honest with you, it, it, I've enjoyed it. I don't... I don't it's amazing how this is affecting me and helping me personally, and I'm thankful for that. But it's one of the more challenging subjects, um, and the Holy Ghost is helping us, praise God, that, that really I've ever, I think, attempted uh, to teach, and, and we're doing it in faith, and we know that it's, it's, it's happening, and I appreciate you continuing to come back on Wednesday nights to, to learn more or tune in, amen, on the Internet and, and learn more about this. The whole series began end of last year when the Lord spoke this simple word to my heart. He said that His children are trusting in probability instead of His ability. Now, at first I'm like, I've got a pretty good, you know, knowing sense of when the Lord is speaking to me, and I really felt that strong in my spirit. And so I I began to kind of just make some notes about it and talk to Him about it and I didn't really at first think that it would become some, you know, sermon series. Um, now I believe it's going to be a book one day. Um, there's that much, I believe, connected with all of this. And in the course of our study, what we've learned is that what we're calling probability is the counterfeit for faith that the devil has developed. In other words, God's ways are the ways of faith. The world's ways, and remember, Satan is the ruler of this world. The world's ways or the devil's ways, they're the ways of luck. They're, they're the ways of, of, of chance. They're, they're the ways of, of, of probability, of probably. It's a survival um, effort, if you will, where we look at situations and we try to reason through them and figure out the option that gives us the highest probability of success. And we've become so conditioned by that mode of operating that Many people prefer something being probable over it being possible. See, God didn't say with Him all things were probable. He said with Him all things are possible. If something is probable, that means there is a likely chance of it happening with there still being room for doubt. Well, see that right there. We said this several weeks back that that probability is like a Trojan horse 
full of doubt. It knocks on our door as a gift. It knocks on our door as something we find deceptive mental comfort from, right? You know, we've got some issue and we search the internet and we try to find other people who've had the same issue and man, everybody's telling us, hey, I had, I had similar charges and the judge gave me probation. I had a similar diagnosis and, and this medicine fixed it. I had a similar surgery. And, 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 and notice now, if we're not careful, we can be deceived into hearing all these favorable reports are we into thinking that our faith is soaring, okay? But then let somebody tell you, well, I had an aunt that had that same situation and she died. I know a guy who went before that same judge and he gave him 20 years. See, now it's like, so in other words, our hope, our hope in, if it's rooted in this thing we're calling counterfeit faith, quasi-faith, uh, simulated pretend faith, probability, um, then it rises and falls with what other people have to say. But genuine faith is not affected by all of that because genuine faith is not in the probability, but it's in God's ability. It's, it's, it's in what He has spoken and what He has promised. Now, when I start just talking about this, it, 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 there's just so much here, but I want to... I want to really try to be focused tonight. I'm going to go over a lot of scripture tonight. Um, I'm not expecting you to look up every one of them. If you're taking notes, maybe write them down. But I want you to see from a whole bunch of scriptures something that I believe is crystal clear in the scriptures, in the Bible, but is still very fuzzy, very blurry, very confusing to a lot of people. So we're going we're to set some things straight and nail it down tonight once and for all, and we're going to be better because of it, okay? Now, before I go any further, there are three places that we can see the will of God more clearly than any other place. Okay. Number one, what life was like in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve sinned. Okay, that gives us a very clear picture of what God desires for us, the kind of life paradise, right? The kind of life, the kind of, you know, the kind of union with Him, the kind of union fellowship with Him, the kind of union fellowship with with, with others, Adam and Eve, the, 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 that they had there. Um, no sweat, no, literally no sweat. No briars, no, you know, lion and lamb laying down together. I mean, all of this, right? Okay. I said three places. So number one, we see the will of God most clearly, life in the Garden of Eden before sin. Number two, in the earthly ministry of Jesus. See, Jesus comes down here in things that people think God, God did, that God was responsible for, or God allowed, right? Jesus came empowered by the Spirit of God to destroy the works of the devil. And so, again, we see the will of God for mankind more clearly in place number two in the earthly ministry of Jesus. He's casting out devils. He's raising people from the dead. A widow woman whose only son died, Jesus stops the funeral procession and pulls him up out of the casket. Are, are you seeing this? He's healing children. He's, 
he's ministering to people, folks who have all manners of, of disease and all manners of brokenness in, in their lives, emotionally, mentally. Jesus is just rolling up his sleeves and just ministering to people. Okay? So I said three places. Life in the garden before sin, earthly ministry of Jesus. Number three, what we know from the Bible that heaven is like. Not, what, not just what it will be like when we get there, but what it'll be like when we get there is what it's like right now. What it's like right now. I'm, I'm going to just, I'm not trying to offend you tonight. Just hang on to the end, please, okay? But see, people, people love to say about things that happen here on this earth that God is in control. Nothing could be further from the truth, my friend. If you want to know what things are like in a place where God is in control, then take a long look at what the Bible tells us about heaven. Anybody want to guess what the crime rate in heaven is tonight? Anybody want to guess how many people are sick with leukemia and cancer in heaven tonight? See, that's where God's in control, my friend. And when He created this planet, He created you and me to, to have that kind of life, to have that kind of existence. Of course, we know the whole story. Adam sinned, Eve sinned. They brought a curse upon the planet. And of course, when Jesus shows up, He comes to, to reverse that curse and give you and me an opportunity to rise above it while still living among it. Now, if you're a little questionable, just again, I'm going to give you a few verses. Now, let me, before I go any further, the title was a little lengthy last Wednesday night, but the title of last Wednesday night's message was the origin of randomness and probability. Okay, I'm sure that title, amen, it had to be anointed by the Holy Spirit for anybody to be attracted to it on the internet, all right? But again, sounds like boring, doesn't it? This isn't boring, all right? And maybe the Lord will give me a better title, but if not, we're going to stay with that one again tonight. The origin of randomness and probability. Because I believe before we can ever understand um, the... Uh, in other words, we got to understand the randomness that's in our world and where it comes from so that we can understand the origin of what we're calling this probability-based thinking, this probability-based approach to life, okay? Now, the first thing we see in Genesis 1 is that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was covering it. Those are two words in the Hebrew that rhyme. Form and void are tohu and bohu. And it literally means that there was no order, there was only chaos, there was no meaning, there was only randomness, and it was all covered in darkness. God spoke into the darkness and said, let there be light. When He did that, His words, the entrance of His word brings light. When Father God did that, His words created an envelope of light in the midst of the darkness. It didn't vanquish darkness. It brought light in the midst of it. And I like to just, if you watch my hands, it's like it pushed the darkness back and created this pocket of light. And in that pocket of light, God created. And as He created, everything that He created in that pocket of light, He said was good. And then He created man last and put him in the midst of that pocket and instructed him to rule and reign over all that God had created. 
He blessed, the Bible says, Adam and gave him five royal mandates and put a blessing upon him. We'll talk about that in a minute, but that means that God empowered him to prosper an unseen spiritual force from heaven that God placed upon Adam to empower Adam to prosper in in the very thing that that Father created him to do. Are you still with me? Now, in same chapter, Genesis 1 and verse 31, it says, Then God saw everything that He made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day, and of course we know on the seventh day God rested. Now, you're not going to really, I think, be able to process everything the Holy Spirit wants us to process tonight if we don't go ahead and get this one thing nailed down. So let's go ahead and nail it down in the very beginning, all right? God is a God of order. God is a God of purpose and meaning. He is specific and He is precise. God is absolutely, all caps in my notes, not a God of randomness, confusion, or chaos. There is nothing random about Him, there is nothing confusing about Him, and there is nothing chaotic about Him. If God is involved in something, it will be something that is of order, that is of of meaning and purpose, and it will be specific and it will be precise. I heard Pastor Bill Winston say it this way. If God walked up in here right now and said, today is Tuesday, okay, it would be Tuesday. Amen. You say, no, Pastor Mark, today's Wednesday. Not if God walked up in here and said it was Tuesday. Okay? Because He's that specific and He is that precise. When the Bible says He cannot lie, okay, it doesn't just mean that He chooses not to. One of the reasons He can't lie is because whatever He says comes to pass. So you say, well, if, if somebody else walked up in here and said, today is Tuesday, well, they, might not, they wouldn't be telling the truth, right? But if God walked up in here and said, today's Tuesday, it would become Tuesday. He cannot lie. Now, we know that Adam and Eve sinned. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? We talked about this briefly. Brother Chad asked a question about this in class or made a comment, and he he was right on target. It wasn't that God didn't know where Adam was. He was asking the question, Adam, why have you abandoned your position? Why, Why are you not in the place? And I don't just mean like physically in the place. Why are you not occupying the place? Because he fell from that place, right? Remember, sin causes us to fall short of God's highest and best. So when God says, where are you? He's asking Adam, why have you abandoned your position? If we skip down again, verses 17, 18, and 19, then to Adam God said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and you've eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return." 
Now, I'm not trying to overwhelm you with a, with a whole lot of verses tonight, but I'm trying to show you that there is, this is not just an opinion that I have, because opinions are, are, are nothing if they're not based in truth. And so I'm showing you the Word of God because, thank God, His Word is truth. So notice, God created an earth and created a garden in, in that pocket of light that He said was not just good. At the end of it, He said it is very good. It was precise. It was orderly. God brought order from the chaos. He brought light in the midst of the darkness. He brought purpose and meaning and, and, and all of these, uh, uh, you know, precision and all of this to creation. But when Adam sinned, his sin brought a curse. Now, some of this may be semantics, and I'll just go ahead and tell you there are a lot of people who disagree with me on this, and that's fine. If I'm wrong, all I'm guilty of is making God out to be better than He is. But if people who disagree with me are wrong, they're telling lies on Him. I'd rather stand before him and say, you mean you really did that, God? Wow, I'm sorry. I thought you were better than that. Amen. So here is the point. There are people who say, God cursed the earth. When the Bible clearly says, because you have eaten, the ground is cursed for your sake. The message translation, I think, gets it so precise. The ground is cursed because of you, Adam. Now, before we go any further, the curse came because of Adam's sin, not because of God. The curse came because of Adam's sin, not because of God. I want you to compare the word blessed, is what God did in verse 28 of chapter 1, now with this word cursed that we find in chapter 3, verse 17. I've already mentioned to you, but let me mention again, this word blessed means empowered by God to prosper. The blessing is an unseen spiritual force from Father God that works things out on your behalf. People in general and many of God's people ignorantly refer to His blessing upon them and the consequent favor it produces as being good luck. Luck has nothing to do with it. It's His favor. It's His blessing. It's an unseen spiritual force that causes things around you to work in your favor. The blessing of God. Come on now. And it was upon Adam. Now this word cursed, now the ground is cursed. It means to suffer various kinds of misfortune to bind, to hem in with obstacles, to render powerless to resist. In parentheses I wrote, can't do anything about it. Hemmed in with obstacles, to, to be bound, to render powerless to resist. Come on now. Not us anymore, but I bet you there's more than one of us, myself included, that's ran up against this thing called the curse a few times in our lives. Things that were destroying us that we seem powerless to resist. It's a curse. 
It's a curse. All bound up, no longer free, hemmed in with obstacles and this overwhelming sense that there's not a thing in the world you can do about it. Nothing you can do to change it. So if the blessing is an unseen spiritual force from Father God working on your behalf, the curse is an unseen force working in the earth against you. Anybody ever heard of Murphy's Laws? If it can go wrong, it will. Things like that, right? Again, that's all rooted in this thing called the curse. In the same way people refer to the blessing as good luck, they also refer to the curse as bad luck. And the devil is banking on us keeping such a shallow understanding of these things. Proverbs 26, 2. I just, I got to come down there with you. Amen. Proverbs 26 and 2. The Bible says the curse, causeless, does not come. Amen. The curse, causeless, does not come. Other translations are talking about the, the, the first part of the proverb says, as the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. One translation, so the curse causeless shall not alight. In other words, the idea is that when a bird lands, it lands for a reason. It either lands to rest or it lands to get something to eat or lands to get something to drink or lands because it just likes the view from that top of that tree or that house or whatever. In other words, he's saying that if a curse lands on us, it doesn't land on us without cause. Now, don't start getting offended at me. I'm not here to offend you. I'm not pointing a finger of accusation at you. I'm not trying to, to, to bum you out. I'm just trying to tell you that the devil tries to make us think these things are random. The curse causeless, he says, does not come. So, see, when, when we have such a shallow understanding of blessing and cursing, and we just simply say of someone that is blessed, lucky, someone who is, what does curse mean? Unseen spiritual force working against them. Well, they sing on hee-haw, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. But that's not luck. It's what the Bible calls a curse. And there's a cause for the curse. Deuteronomy says, God speaking, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. In another place, he says, Behold, I set before you this day death and life, uh, cursing and blessing. And then it's like, in case you need some help, let me give you the answer. Choose life. So again, these things are not random, but notice that God is wanting us to understand that these things are connected to choices. It 
So let's get something else nailed down. There is an unseen force in this world working against us. And that force is the curse. The Bible says in heaven there is no curse. We've never lived in a place like that. Do you realize that that metal will not rust in heaven? See, we just take it for granted. You know, you leave, you leave something metal, and precious metal, whatever outside, you know, something that means a lot to you, it's going to rust. Metal don't rust in heaven. Because there's no corruption there. There's no curse there. Oh, sweet Jesus, let me keep moving here. The devil uses the unseen force of the curse to his advantage. But the real power does not come from the devil. It comes from the corrupted and broken power originally released at creation. Am I going too fast for you? I told you last week, I'll tell you again. I mentioned, I think, even in class. The devil doesn't have the power of a tornado. The devil doesn't have the power to strike somebody with lightning, and God has no interest in striking anybody with lightning. Where do tornadoes come from? They come from natural weather patterns that are now broken because of the curse. Now cold fronts and warm fronts of air slam into each other and create violent weather. And people call them an act of God. It's not an act of God. He talks about somebody getting struck by lightning. Do you understand what causes lightning? It's, it's friction in the atmosphere. Like static electricity on a cosmic scale. And sometimes... People are affected by that. But it's not the devil who says, I think I'm going to strike them by lightning. That's not his ability. That's not his power. But he manipulates us into saying things and doing things that expose us to the curse that's in this world all around us. That's what happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned. They were in an envelope of light. They were in an envelope of protection. They were in an envelope of glory and beauty. But when they sinned, now they become disconnected from God and Adam, through his actions and choices, he exposed himself and his family to the curse that he brought into this world. God is not the unseen force working against you. He loves you and only wants good for you. Now let me ask you tonight, do these verses make more sense to you now. John 16, Jesus speaking. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Does it, does it not 
strike you as interesting that he's not saying overcome the devil. He didn't say in this world the devil's going to mess with you. In this world the devil's going to give you trouble. No, he said in this world you're going to have tribulation. Not be of good cheer of overcome the devil. He did that. But he did more than overcome the devil. He overcame the world that has been cursed by mankind's sin. And now he says while you still live in a world that's laboring under a curse, you can overcome it by faith. You're not dependent upon a cursed system. So now remember, sweet Jesus, there's so much here. Just hang with me for a few more minutes, please, okay? I haven't even got to this yet, but if you've ever read the Scriptures, you'll find something in there called the rudimentary elements. Anybody ever heard that? The rudimentary elements. The Bible says, me and you, we've been set free from the rudimentary elements. And man, I was like, I, I like the way that sounds. Rudimentary elements. Yeah, it sounds so good. What is that? This is what I believe it is. Are you ready? The rudimentary elements, they're the, they're the remnants of the system that God created to work perfectly before sin ruined it. In the Garden of Eden, Adam didn't even have to water what he planted. Matter of fact, he didn't even have to plow. It's just the, the earth brought forth and it grew. And, and he was there to, to tend it and, and oversee it. When he sinned, now he's got to work the ground. He's got the sweat of his brow. He's got to fight the weeds. He's got to fight the thistles and the thorns. And, and, and it's just, he's got to fight the weather. And now animals are coming to eat what he worked so hard to produce. And now weather's coming and, and ruining his crops. And now locusts are coming and eating his food and, and, and all these other things. But see, again, the, the basic elements of that where God created the, the ground to produce seed and, and to pr plants to reproduce after their kind, all of that's still in place. But in its original form, weather wouldn't destroy the fruit. Insects wouldn't eat it. Predators wouldn't tear it up. Are you understand what I'm saying? So these rudimentary elements, it's, it's what keeps life functioning on this planet even though the, the system has been broken by sin and it's laboring under a curse. And all of creation, the Bible says, is groaning within itself. Psalm 82 in the Message Translation says that, that this world is coming unglued. But there's still these remnants, right? These rudimentary elements. And that's why the Bible says God makes the sun shine on the just and the unjust. He makes the rain fall on those who love Him and those who don't because He's wanting His goodness to draw them to a place of repentance. It's not a perfect system because of the curse. Not because God created it imperfectly. He created it perfectly, but sin took a perfect system of order and design and purpose and precision Sin threw a wrench in the machinery of that and, and caused it to not work perfectly. It still works, it just doesn't work perfectly. Are you following me tonight? Now, before Jesus came and set us free from those rudimentary elements, that was all that we had. But thank God, we, we got more than that now. We, we've got the kingdom in us and we've got the faith of God in us and through faith now we're, we're dependent upon God not the rudimentary elements of this world for the things that we need. Am I boring you? I don't want to bore you. I'm trying to help you tonight. 
Some of this is tedious. Now, do you see how everything from good luck charms to worshiping false idols and false gods, not to mention all other superstitions and man-made religions, all stem from a futile response to deal with the randomness caused by the curse. That's a big sentence right there. Why is, why is luck even a thing? Right? It's because there is randomness now on this planet that was not ordained by God. It came because of the curse. That, I, I mean... I don't think you, you have to have a PhD in theology to know that, right? I mean, things happening to people all over the place, all over the world, what have you. And so it's like, how do we deal with this? How, how do we defend ourselves? How do we survive? Right? Right? So somebody leaves our house and we say, be careful. Right? Somebody's going to take some big test for a promotion at work. Good luck. Why are we saying that? Because we recognize that there is a potential for harm. There's a potential for failure. There's a potential for disaster. There's a potential for tragedy living on a planet that's laboring under a curse. And so we create all of these things, right? And please hear me. Religion is at the front of all of this. Things that we can do. Things that we can give. Not as under the Lord, but hopefully if we do that, hopefully, you know, you better go to church or the devil will get you. Right? All you got to do is listen to some people. When they face some kind of challenge or some kind of issue or some kind of difficulty in their life or family. You, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? All of a sudden, you hear people start saying things like, we go to church every Sunday, God, and you let this happen to us, right? See? Sounds to me like our coming to church every Sunday was more about having good luck. To appease the gods. Right? Because clearly there's an unseen force that's working against us. Maybe if we carry a rabbit's foot, maybe if we knock on wood, maybe if we don't jinx ourselves, maybe if we keep our fingers crossed, maybe if we don't walk under a ladder, maybe if we don't break a mirror, maybe if we do all of these things, this will somehow get us on the probably side of those things not happening to us. 
Dream catchers. Oh my God, please help us, Jesus. And a dream catcher is again designed to catch evil spirits. You get me in trouble, bro. Don't get me in trouble. Dream catchers. Oh, but they're so pretty, Pastor Mark. I love the feathers. That's not what that means to me. How about this one? What can it hurt? I mean, we'll pray, but we'll keep our fingers crossed too. Again, do you see how everything from good luck charms to worshiping false idols and false gods, not to mention all other superstitions and man-made religions, all of these things have developed on this planet because of our effort to deal with the randomness of the curse, the randomness of an unseen force on planet Earth working against us. This is where, this is where all this is rooted in. What, what I'm trying to get you to see tonight is this. Remember, probability comes to us as a friend. We find deceptive mental comfort in probably. If you want to see what probability thinks about faith, then catch a glimpse of Cain murdering Abel. Because it's exactly what that was all about. Abel said, I'm not going to put my confidence, my trust in the probability of this world, in my ability to breed animals and, and, and choose the better animals to, 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 to produce a healthier line of animals. But instead of that, I'm going to take the best uh, of my flock, the ones that I should be studying out and using to impregnate all of my females. Instead, I'm going to take my strongest animal, my most healthy animal, my, my most animal and I'm going to sacrifice it to God and in doing that I'm going to say to God I'm not depending upon luck or chance or probability but my faith and my confidence is in you but Cain says I'm going to take my best watermelon and I'm not going to give it to God and I'm not going to eat it myself because anybody knows you want to take the seed from the best watermelon and plant them for next year's watermelons. And so he brought God produce that was of an inferior quality because what he was saying was, I'm going to take my chances with the rudimentary elements of this world and I'm going to take my chances with my skills as a farmer and I'm going to give you some token offering, God, in hopes that it will bring me good luck. And God didn't accept it. Because to do so would be to endorse a probability mindset instead of a faith in God's ability mindset. He didn't endorse it. First case of bipolar disorder known to humankind. The Bible says he was depressed and violently angry at the same time. And God says, son, if you'll just settle down and do what you know to do, everything will be fine. 
See, the devil tells you that, that probability and faith are friends, that somehow probability props up your faith. And, and, and when your faith is weak, you need to turn to some probability for a little hope and a little peace and a little answers and all these other things. It, again, if you want to see what probability thinks of faith, then watch Cain murder his brother. And he was, he was manipulated by the enemy to do it because the enemy is trying to snuff out our faith. He's trying to destroy our faith. He wants any sign of faith to be eradicated. And he wants the entire human race to be living by this thing called probability. And we see it. If we see anything, we see it in the Garden of Eden when Cain murdered Abel. I'm out of time. i got to do one quick thing. I'm going to come back to this. You'll hear this list again. I've been wanting you to become more aware of how probability and, and this luck-based approach. One of the things the Lord told me, he said, he said, people who are living a life based upon probability instead of confidence in my ability are people who view life as something that happens to them. My friend, you were never created to live on this planet, viewing life as something that happens to you. You're supposed to be ruling and reigning in life, not being ruled over by whatever comes down the pipe. Phases that reveal probability-based thinking or mindset. You ready? I'll give them to you again so you, I could even print them off for you. Any statement that includes God allowed. God allowed that, God allowed... No, no. Any statement that includes God allowed is evidence of probability-based thinking or probability-based mindset. Are you ready? Can you take these tonight? Most statements that include the word if and most every statement that includes the phrase but what if. Any statement that includes the word luck including but not limited to lucky, good luck, I wish you luck, I hope you have better luck next time, my good luck charm, that always brings me luck, my luck has to change or a lucky break. Any statement that uses the word wish when you really mean luck. Any statement that uses the word hope when you really mean luck. Any statement that uses the word pray when you really mean luck. Any statement that uses the word believe when you really mean luck. I'm believing with you, brother. You might as well have said, good luck, brother. I'm praying for you, brother. You ain't prayed for him yet, and you, ain't, you don't have no intention to pray for him. I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you, brother. Quit telling people that if you're not going to pray for them. And quit telling people you're believing with them if you're not believing with them. Any statement that involves chance, unless you're talking about our dear brother and prophet to the nations, Chance Fontenot. Any statement that involves chance, including but not limited to, what are the chances? I think I'll take my chances. Give me another chance. Leave it to chance. The phrase, you have to take the good with the bad. Uh-uh. We ain't taking... We, uh -uh. we ain't got to take... The good with the bad. Always triumph is what my Bible says. Now some of you are not going to like this one, but I'm going to just give it time.
Well, that's life. This one, really, I'm going to listen. The love of God's in my heart for you, okay? And if you love me, please, number one, don't ever say this again, but please don't ever say it in my presence ever again, okay? You just never know. Well, you just never know. Is that who we are? Did Jesus not say the Holy Spirit in us would lead us and guide us into all truth and even show us things to come? Did He not say you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things? Did He not say that we have Jesus living inside of us and in Jesus are hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Who are we to say you just never know? Wouldn't it be nice if God had written us a book so we could know? God is in control. Depends on where you're talking about Him being in control at, right? He's not even in control over you unless you surrender to Him. Remember, we said we want Him to have a place in the nation. We haven't given Him in the church. And we want to have a place in the church. We haven't given Him in our family. And we want to have a place in our family. We haven't given Him in our lives. Save my least favorite one for, for last. You never know what God is going to do. You just never know about God, Pastor Mark. You never know what God is going to do. People say it with such conviction, such passion, you think they're quoting a Bible verse. Is there a father in this room that considered a compliment for your children to say of you, you never know what my dad's going to do. You never know what kind of mood he's going to be in. You never know what he's going to say. You never know how he's going to treat us. You never know. See, again, we think that's a compliment to God. We think we're being all spiritual. Sometimes people say it with a real syrupy, you know, spiritual uh, overtone in their voice. You never know what God's going to do. My friend, that could not be any further from what genuine faith is. Brother Kenneth E. Hagin says it's this way. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Stand with me. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I know I ask you this all the time, but I really... I, amen. Are you... Is, I'm not going to ask you if you get, I always say you get anything out of this. Is this making sense to you? Is, is this make, okay, I want, thank you, Matt, clear. I want it to be clear. I want it to be clear. There is an unseen spiritual force in this world working against us. It's not God. And I'm not saying the devil's not a part of that, but he's not, he's not the source of it. The source of it is the power in creation that's now out of control. We said last week it's like a runaway train with, with no one driving. And so the devil just hops in there. He's along for the ride, taking credit for all these things that are happening in nature and all this other stuff. Got the power to do any of that. We need to put the brakes on him. We need to tell him where to get off. 
Amen. Jesus derailed it. Freight train storms. Jesus stopped them in their tracks. Amen. Amen. Father, you're good to us and we love you. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Thank you for helping us, Lord, embrace these things. Father, thank you for, for these folks who've endured a little lengthier sermon than normal. I know, Father's kids and all that stuff. But Lord, this is, I just feel such an urgency in my heart. And Father, you know my love for you and my love for these people. And, and Lord, I just want us to all grow up in, into these things. And, and, and um, as Aaron just said a moment ago, just to develop that confidence and that certainty and that, Lord, just nail it down that we know that you're for us and we know the enemy's against us and he's our adversary. He's the source of our adversity. But Father, we have the victory over this world that he tries to manipulate against us. We've got the victory through faith, through you, and through faith in your, uh, you overcame this world, Jesus, and through our being born into you now and faith in you, we overcome as well. Father, I thank you that as we go our separate ways, people see our good works, glorify you in heaven, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for being here this evening. Good things coming, good things coming. See some of you in the morning, some of you Sunday.